love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to, but how though, and other spiritual conundrums. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and I was sitting there thinking, I think we should spend a couple episodes talking about suicide. And then I was like, but how though? (laughs) I don't even know how to begin on a subject that is so complex and so emotionally fraught. Many of us have been touched by the tragedy of suicide. I've lost several friends to suicide and myself have experienced a depth of depression that took me to a suicidal place. In my experiences and in talking with others about their experiences, either losing someone to suicide or getting into that dark place themselves, I wanted to talk about two different aspects. I thought we could break it into a two-episode series discussing our human reaction to darkness that creeps into our thoughts and some healthy ways to examine and deal with that type of darkness. My story is very specific to me, but I think there are some universal aspects of it. With my body image and eating disorders, it has been a very uh, long-term burden that started very early on in adolescence. I didn't even look at it in terms of trying to heal from it until I was an adult in my 30s. One of the first things that I did when I did try to heal from it is write a memoir. (laughs) I wrote it in 2012. I didn't have a lot of writing experience. I did my best. It is still not going to be lauded as a classic work of genius in our society. Okay, we'll just say that. However, after I did write my memoir, I felt totally cured. I had taken my problem and totally acknowledged it. And so in the acknowledging of it, had solved it. I was very naive as to the road, the bumpy road that it takes once you start to acknowledge an issue inside yourself, an emotional issue, the very bumpy road that it is to actually file that away where it belongs so that it no longer disturbs you. So a few years after I write the memoir, I'm thinking I'm all the way cured. Some traumatic event happens in my personal life and I am kind of sent into a tailspin of questioning my own value. This is happening on a subconscious level, but my first instinct when I question my value is to go after my looks, is to go after what I can control, which is my size, my shape, I can diet, all those things. So I have this traumatic event and I immediately think that I am fat. This happens on a subconscious level. So consciously, I I am thinking, oh, I thought I was cured. I wrote that memoir. I told everybody I was cured in that memoir, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so I can't be dealing with this anymore. This is embarrassing. I've got to pull myself together. What is the issue? The issue is, obviously, I'm just shallow. I'm just a shallow person, right? So I need to stop focusing on my looks. So I come up with this genius idea. I'm going to challenge my looks so that I can accept that I am the same no matter what I look like. I can accomplish the same things. I can love the same people. The same people can love me. It doesn't really matter what I look like. Well, what's the best way to challenge my looks? I decided that I was going to do a hair project. One thing I'd always wanted to try was buzzing my head, but I was pretty afraid to buzz my head because I know what it looks like when people buzz their heads. And I wasn't sure I was going to be one of those people 
that was going to look great with a buzzed head. But in the spirit of challenging my shallowness, I decided that I wasn't going to let a little thing like my fear of how it will look keep me from doing something I wanted to try. So it sounds in principle like a logical thing to try. Challenge those looks. And since you're going to buzz your head anyway, you might as well try all of the different hairstyles on the way down. If you've listened to my other podcast, Humans Dealing with Humans, you may have heard bits and pieces of this story here and there in different episodes. I will sum it up for you. Essentially what happened is this. I tried every single hairstyle that I wanted to try, every single color that I wanted to try on my way to getting a buzz cut. And I posted about it on social media and I prepared myself for finding and facing my inner demons, my inner shallowness that was telling me I wasn't good enough unless I looked a certain way. And I was gonna find that demon and I was gonna kick him out. In the eating disorder world, they refer to eating disorder as Ed like they personify it. And I was picturing this inner demon, like this slovenly, gross, abusive boyfriend sitting on a couch, drunk, yelling, derisive comments at me. And who's going to take that person seriously? Not me. I would find that inner demon sitting on his butt on the couch and I would kick him out like a boss. Well, I went on the little journey. It was very, very fun. It was fun because I got a new high every time I got a different hairstyle. The high came from trying something new, but it also came from posting the pictures and getting the validation from the external cues that I had always focused on. So I'd blog about it and post it on social media and everyone could see how brave I was and cheer me on and they gave me attention and validation, which, you know, wasn't really what I wanted or needed. I was just posting the pictures so people could see because, you know, they were interested and I needed to let them be a part of my journey. It wasn't about the looks. I lied that lie to myself every day (laughs) and I would obsess over every comment as my hair got shorter and shorter and more and more colorful because I had told everyone what the purpose of the project was so that I would have accountability. I was going to face down all the shallow parts of myself. I was going to go into the inner closets of my soul and purge them of all the rude demons. Here's the problem. I wasn't really doing the mental work to prepare for the battle with my inner demons. I was only going through the physical motions to take me to that place. I thought I was doing the work. Sure, because I was admitting I had a problem and I thought admitting that I had a problem was preparation enough to face the problem. And every single hairstyle brought me closer and closer to that number one clipper setting. I thought I was building my strength. I was pretending to build my strength. I buzzed my head the summer of 2016. It felt amazing. I was on a high for like three weeks. But it turns out I didn't get to the demon's layer in my head just with a buzz cut. The doorway to the layer was actually in the regrowth, which was, as I lovingly refer to it, the baby gorilla phase, which is an inch and a half of fuzzy helmet hair that stood straight off my scalp and no amount of product or styling would make it do anything other than stand straight off my head. And that is when the demons answered their door and it wasn't a slob I could look down on and kick out. No, it was like that creepy little girl from every horror show ever that uh, appears and disappears and gets blurred edges as she whispers eerie little lies that sound very much like truths. Look at that hair. Wow, that is really bad. How long is it going to take to grow back out? A couple years? Yeesh. That's very unfortunate. Also, if you don't even like it, I wonder what other people are saying about it behind your back. Also, I wonder what husband is thinking behind your back. He'd never say anything to your face, of course, because he's nice and he doesn't want to hurt your feelings. But this has got to be hard on him. Think about it. 
oh, it really is so bad. The whispers started out quiet, but constant. Exhausting, but not on a noticeable level, until the effects started. I stopped getting dressed. It was the summer, after all. Did I really need to get dressed? I stopped going out. But everybody's busy with kids and summer activities. I mean, I don't need to go out or reach out. We're all busy, plus my hair. I don't need to leave the house unless we run out of milk or something. I'm not leaving the house. I stopped taking care of myself. I quit brushing my teeth, which I have begun to notice is one of the first things I do when I start slipping into a depression. The teeth go first. I stopped answering calls from friends. I stopped having conversations altogether, even with husband. I slowly and steadily let the depression take me. I didn't fight that demon girl and her lies. I just listened and nodded along to the rhythm of my new normal. I was an embarrassment. I was ugly. All I'd ever really had going for me was my looks. And now that I'd ruined those with a stupid haircut, I had nothing. I was nothing. I let those words play in my mind all the time. They weren't necessarily coming from me, but I didn't have enough energy to battle them. And it is amazing how quickly something can turn from dark to dangerous because the burden of my thoughts and beliefs about myself became so heavy, so fast. I had to look ahead. I had to gaze into my future and picture me 20 to 30 years in the future. This is where it gets really hard. Could I still carry the weight of this hatred for myself? Could I really be the woman in her 60s and 70s who cried when she got on the scale or worried how her hips looked in that outfit or laid awake at night wishing her size would change in her sleep? Could I really stay this woman with these fears and burdens for that many years? No, I already knew I couldn't. It was so heavy then in my 30s. I knew there would not be any carrying it into my golden years. I knew that. And hadn't I tried everything to cure it? Hadn't I written a memoir? Hadn't I eaten healthy? Hadn't I gotten into running and done a very extreme hair project and still not been strong enough to rid myself of the illness? The door to the demon lair was wide open then. And I had faced an enemy that I was not equal to. Not even close. The illness was bigger, stronger, and smarter than me. I could never beat it. The best I could hope for was to hold it for as long as I could, which was starting to feel like not that much longer. And then I started to think a little bit more about people who take their own lives. Maybe they didn't take their lives because they were quitters. Maybe people took their lives because the pain was too heavy to keep holding. It was literally crushing them. And when others helped them hold it, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch my family deal with the burden of my darkness. No one was saying anything, <laughs> but we all felt it. I could see it was affecting them. My children, I could see it in their faces when they looked at me. I could hear it in their voices when they talked to me so carefully, like I was dandelion fluff that would scatter if they spoke with too much force. Maybe watching people you love carry that big a burden was too much because sure, they would suffer if I left, but they're suffering with me here too. Which is worse, really? Which is worse? I knew what they would say. Without me would be way worse than with me. <laughs> but that was their love talking, not practicality. And maybe I could hang in there until the kids were old enough, but a husband could for sure handle life without me. 
I, I'm not sure at what point the thoughts caught up with my conscious sense. I honestly have no idea how long that creepy little demon had been whispering that crap before I finally realized something big. I was empathizing with suicide. It's not necessarily a horrible thing. It was good to see the pain from that side so I could understand others in it. But empathizing with it was really only a few steps short of planning it. And planning it was really only a few steps away from carrying it out. I was in actual danger and it scared the hell out of me. I wasn't sure what to do about it. I saw where the path was leading, but I didn't see other paths or other options. And no one was saying anything, least of all me. I knew I had to tell someone, but how though? How do you reach out with something so big and so horrible that you know what people are going to say and what people are going to think? And it is so scary Telling husband was the logical and responsible choice, but it was terrifying. I wasn't exactly sure what he would say, but I knew what I would see on his face and I knew what I would hear in his voice. (laughs) Disappointment and anger. I told him anyway. Disappointment and anger were both there, but it was the fear that really grabbed at my heart. The absolute fear in that man's face because he knew I could leave him without any explanation or any way back. And he had no control over it. I saw it then. I saw the pain that it would cause. I saw the confusion, the mess, the irrevocable loss. But I didn't have a solution. I didn't have options to present him or hope to offer. I was dying under the crushing weight of my depression and my illness. And all I had to offer him was the truth which wasn't very pleasant. (laughs) So I just carefully laid my feelings at his feet and waited for his response. He responded just about as expected. He refused to accept my death as any kind of option. And he had several other options come very quickly to mind, which he laid out as must-dos and not polite suggestions. And I felt more pain (laughs) at the money and time that his to-do list would cost my family. I felt like even more of a burden. And he said, you are worth any amount of time or money we spend on helping you get well. It stopped me in my tracks because that is not a concept I have thought of. I'm worth it. I'm worth it without proving it or earning it. No way. I didn't believe that I had value without proving it or earning it. That was the root of the problem and my reaching out to someone else to have them tell me some truths when all I was hearing in my mind was lies gave me enough time to pause. And as time went on, it gave me strength to keep going. The climb out of that pit was not an easy one. And we will talk about taking care of some of that with professional help in the next episode. But today I just want to talk about the power of the reach out. Because if you imagine, or if this story struck any kind of chord with you for your own life, and you know that you have an inner demon that is a jerk or a creepy little specter whispering lies to you all day that sound a lot like truths, you might get to a dark place and say to yourself, How am I going to get out of this? I don't see a way out of this. I can't carry this for very much longer. And what little strength you have is being sapped away by these words and these lies that you're carrying. You're carrying them with you. And they're on replay. 
in your mind. Imagine listening to a jerk all day. Imagine if that was really a person. How do you shut that out? How do you get a boundary set? Imagine an actual bully like that. We got to tell on them. We have to tell on the bully. And you get to find someone who you trust to share that with. I chose husband. But let's think about that for a second. After I finally shared with my husband what was going on in my mind, I did get the professional help I needed. But what if he hadn't said those words? What if he hadn't reacted the way that he did? What if he reacted poorly or not lovingly or indifferently? We have to talk about that because not every time you reach out are you going to get the perfect response. The power in the reach out comes from knowing that you deserve to have a team, that you deserve to have your life. Every baby born to this planet belongs here. We all have a seat at the table. We all have ways that we can contribute and ways that we can benefit from the world just by being here. Just being here gives us that. But the inner demon, that jerk, will lie and tell you that you don't even belong in your own life. But every single moment that you're here means something. Even my most embarrassing, even my lowest lows. The fact that I quit brushing my teeth was super embarrassing to me. I knew that I had bad breath. (laughs) And I knew that I should be taking care of my teeth, but I didn't believe that my body had value. And so I quit taking care of it. Just one short year after this experience, I was speaking to a group of women at a substance abuse center about my story. And while I was talking, I launched into one of the things that happens when my depression starts is that I quit I quit brushing my teeth. Even as I was saying the words, I was like, why am I saying this? I do not need to admit to these women that I have poor hygiene when I get depressed. And afterward, a young woman approached me that I could only describe as a woman that wanted to disappear. She was young, maybe 18 to 20 years old. Everything about her screamed insecure. Her baggy, raggedy clothing, her posture, her soft voice, the hand in front of her mouth as she spoke. And she looked at me in complete desperation. I leaned in to try to hear a question. She struggled to get the words out. She blushed and she covered her mouth again as she spoke. She did not meet my eye. I had to put my ear right next to her mouth to hear what she was saying. Essentially, she was struggling with her hygiene. She'd quit showering. She didn't brush her teeth anymore or wash her hair. She felt lazy. She felt worthless. And when I'd spoken to the group, I'd mentioned that one of my symptoms was my lapse in basic hygiene. And that was enough for her to trust me with this. Her hidden shame. She wanted to know what I had done to pull myself out of that. How I had started caring for myself and my hygiene again, even when it was hard. She was reaching out to someone she hoped could understand without judgment. And my heart broke for her. I had never felt more grateful for my journey than at that moment because I had felt so worthless that taking care of my body had seemed pointless. It was dark. It was awful. But I would have gone through it again and again and again if it meant I could be trusted with that precious girl's heart in that moment. I didn't know what to say. So I just opened my arms and she walked right in and we bawled. (laughs) Two grown strangers holding each other and crying about how brushing our teeth is hard. (laughs) That is the power of the reach out. That is the power in knowing that you can share and trust and reach out, not because someone can take the burden from you, because that's not how it works, but that sharing a burden distributes the weight a little more mercifully. 
It distributes the weight so that you don't have to carry all of it by yourself. Someone else can at least just know it with you, even if they can't solve it for you. If you or someone you know is dealing with a darkness that you don't understand, you don't know how to navigate, and that you feel like you can't carry anymore, please reach out. And if the first person you reach for doesn't reach back, just keep reaching because you deserve a team and you will eventually find what you're looking for. And this is where Team Universe comes in really handy, actually, because they know people. They know everyone and they can help direct you to the places that you need to go. In the next episode, we'll talk about taking care of trauma and how to get professional help so that you can start to file some of these emotional burdens in a way that make them manageable, in a way that makes your life joyful so that it's not just full of darkness and hopelessness. But if you're not at that stage yet, just keep reaching because you deserve to be here. You were born here. That means you belong to us. We all belong to each other. And I have seen and I have witnessed more power in reaching out than in almost any other thing we can do because we belong to each other. That's all I got for this week. Please join me again next week as we talk more about taking care of trauma and the self-care through the darkness of depression. If you have a story or an experience that you think might be helpful for any of us, please hit me up on any of our social media. I would love to hear from you. The more I go through this messy life, the more things I experience, both the highs and the lows, the more I am convinced that one of Team Universe's favorite questions to answer really is, but how though?